This morning we're going to be in the Old Testament book of the Ecclesiastes, and specifically chapter 10. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, or uh, grab a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, but join me, if you will, in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We've been studying through this book for a number of months now, and we've been talking here about King Solomon, the preacher, teacher, a man who is on a quest for truth. And he presents this truth, this divine truth, in a very real and sometimes even very raw kind of way to people who need to be reminded about what, what's most important in life and what's not so important in life. And the critical nature of knowing and fearing and following and loving and serving God as the most significant part of life, which is the ultimate point of Ecclesiastes. One of the central repeated phrases in the book of Ecclesiastes is that life is meaningless. Life is vanity. It's like smoke. It's a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And living life for the things of this world is like chasing after the wind. And so we need to place an important priority on being able to see life and respond to life from God's point of view, which is a great definition for what Solomon calls wisdom. And that's our subject once again here this morning. Last week, we talked about the critical nature of wisdom and the importance of wisdom as Solomon talks about uh, a lot about that in chapters 9 and 10. But this morning, as we move on to the larger portion of the book or the chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is going to continue uh, to discuss. Uh, this thing about practical wisdom. How do you put wisdom into practice in our lives? In very real terms, in specific areas in our lives. And so that's what we're going to be spending time looking at here today. As we're talking about, as we've talked about previously in our study, wisdom is uh, kind of Solomon's thing. He was wise enough to ask for wisdom, even when he had that incredible meeting with God when he was a young king. I mean, he could have asked for anything, but he asked for wisdom, for the ability to make wise decisions in the will of God that would be a blessing, not only to him, but to the people around him and even to the nation that he would lead as king over Israel. Here is a guy in Solomon who sees, seems to have everything that you'd ever want. He's got the top position in the land. He owns property more than anyone else. He, he's got the biggest house in town. He's got the greatest amount of responsibility, the largest amount of people who would answer to him. He seemed to have everything, and yet... As he wrote the book of Proverbs, which is the book that comes right before Ecclesiastes in your Bible, he's primarily writing that book to his sons and telling them, pleading with them that they would know how to live wisely. And he says to them and to all of us who would read the book of Proverbs as eternal scripture, he says, you know what, above all else, get wisdom. He doesn't say above all else get houses or above all else uh, get land or above all else get power or money or a retirement count. No, uh, those things have, uh, they're they're necessary. They're things that we, um, they have their place in life. But Solomon stresses to his kids, to his boys and to us as well, the practical importance of wisdom. And here in the book of Ecclesiastes, he reflects a little bit more on that same thing. 
Last week, we, we talked about a definition for wisdom, and we, we, we said that, that wisdom is more than just knowledge. It, it's more than uh, just accumulating a bunch of things that you can recite back, but it is what you do with what it is that you know. How you respond to various people, places, and events based on what you know. In fact, I like what I like to describe wisdom like this, and we're going to put it back on the screen. We had it up there last week, but wisdom is the ability based on the biblical truth to see life, evaluate life, and respond to life from God's point of view. It is the ability to see life, evaluate life, and respond to life. From God's point of view, which is, uh, the, uh, of course, th- this is um, what it means to know the Bible and th- that we need to understand what God has to say to us. And, and that's why we put a big importance, a, b- a big uh, emphasis on uh, the Bible here in community week in and week out. That's part of our small groups. It's part of our Wednesday night Bible studies. It's part of youth group and Sunday school and kids clubs and everything that we do here is based on the word of God. And it it takes people to the word of God because you can't know the will of God. You can't live in wisdom without the very word of God. And we want to be a people who get wisdom, who embrace wisdom, and who live according to wisdom in our lives. Now, one of the most important biblical words that is connected with wisdom is this word. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, but it's the word consider. Consider. If you read through the book of Proverbs or you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll notice how often this word consider and uh, wisdom are closely connected with each other. But, but I wonder how many times have you ever reacted uh, to somebody or maybe some event in your life without first stopping and engaging your mind and engaging your heart? You know, I feel like we live in a knee-jerk We are a knee-jerk culture living in a knee-jerk world. So often we do things impulsively. We speak without thinking about it. And yet the Bible tells us that we need to learn the discipline of first stopping to consider, which means that we need to learn to engage our hearts and our minds and our souls. We need to think before we act. We need to think before we speak. Look before you leap, as the old saying goes. I remember... Uh, uh, I wonder, have you ever made a decision without having all of the facts? You, you, you don't really have all the details. You, don't really, you haven't really thought about the ramifications of the choice that you've made. A lot of times we make decisions based on something that you might call edu- an uneducated enthusiasm. That we just feel good about it. You know, I I feel good about this girl, right? Or I feel good about this job. Or I feel good about this move. And and in your mind, all you can think about is how good it's going to be. And and yet you haven't stopped to consider, though. There's a lot of enthusiasm behind it. You know what? Everything's just going to be great. And maybe it will be great. But you know what? Can I say something here? Sometimes... It's not great. It's not always going to be great. Listen, you can choose to learn everything in life by experience, but you're you're going to be black and blue and you'll be scraped up and cut up and bruised up a lot. 
How much better it would be if you would know the Word of God and learn from the experience of, uh, experiences of others, seek wise counsel, involve others in the decisions that you make, consider before deciding. Remember years ago when I first went to college in Indiana, my mom, she took me to freshman orientation. We were in this big room with all of these other freshmen and transfer students. And one of these college officials, like the dean of students or something like that, got up. And I think it was his mission that day to make sure that he put the fear of God in all of us newcomers. Well, he's telling us horror stories about college. And he says, you know what? I know what you're going to do. Mom and dad, you're going to come to campus. Mom and dad aren't going to be around. And so you're going to think that you can do whatever you want to. But, he said, let me just tell you what can happen if you don't first stop and think. And he goes on, he tells several stories. But one of those stories was about this student who didn't think that it was such a big deal to skip class in his last semester of his senior year. Well, this student thought that he was in a fairly easy class and uh, and this class wasn't something that he needed to take very seriously. And so he had skipped a number of times at the very beginning of the semester and in fact he had used up all of his skip days very early on. There was a certain number of days that you were allowed to miss class and then after that it started affecting your grade. Well, this student kept missing class and at the end the professor ended up giving him a failing grade. And because of that, he wasn't able to graduate. Now, they did let him walk across the stage at graduation that year, but they didn't give him a diploma. And in fact, he had to make arrangements that next fall to come back and take another semester of that class in order to complete that class and get that diploma that he needed. You see... The student had messed around and failed to consider the results of what he was doing. And, and, and so many of us do the same things. O- only the ramifications are far, far, far more significant at times. But here in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, Solomon shows us how to apply wisdom. What we looked at last week, Solomon was talking about the importance of wisdom, why it, what it is and why it matters. But here he gives us three practical areas where wisdom can and should be applied. Now, there, there are many other areas that we could talk about, but Solomon cho- chooses to focus in on just three things here. And the first one is that he just reminds us that we need to be wise in the work that we do. Solomon says that when it comes to the work, to work, we need to learn how to work wisely. And that's true no matter what kind of work that it is that you do. Look at Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 8. It says, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Now let me stop right there for a minute. Solomon says here that if you break through a wall, you're going to get bit by a snake. And if you dig a pit, you're going to fall into it. Now, that's not true all the time. I mean, in fact, it doesn't happen very often, 
But Solomon is using these examples uh, uh, as things that could happen if you are careless. If you're digging a hole in the ground and you're too close to the edge, you might actually fall into it. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, back by the stairs over by the offices and I was talking to people as, as we were all kind of getting out of Sunday school and getting ready to leave. And someone said to me, hey, Jason, you need to watch out because you're too close to the steps right there and you're going to fall down the steps. Now, thankfully, they pointed that out and I, I moved away from the steps and I didn't fall down the steps. But you know what? If you're not careful, you could fall down the steps, right? And that was, that's what Solomon's saying here, that that you don't that, that that if you don't see you don't want to see how close you can get to the edge of a hole you don't want to just try to play fast and loose with this you, you need to stay away a little bit because if you get too close you're going to fall into that hole or if you're breaking down a wall you need to be careful because you don't know what's on the other side of that wall there might be snakes on the other side of that wall and maybe for you, you might apply this more in gardening or in spring cleaning uh, around the outside of the house. You know, there, there's a reason why I use gloves like these these days when I'm gardening, gardening gloves, you know, um, you, you're outside and you're working and you want to put some gardening gloves on. But uh, usually before, when I was younger, I, I didn't used to wear gardening gloves very often, especially in the summertime. I mean, it's way too hot to be thinking about putting gloves on it. But, you know, a few years ago, I'm doing some spring cleaning around the ground, the, the yard and, and, um, I, I, there's some leaves on the ground. I go to pick up this big pile of leaves and out runs this, um, th- this gardener snake comes flying out of there and, 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 and it startled me and I jumped and, and now a gardener snake is not really going to hurt you when you think about it, but it made me think what else might actually be in there. And so I went and I grabbed a pair of gloves and I got a rake and, and I, I've made sure ever since then that when I'm doing work around the yard that I've got my, my gloves on um, because I, I, I need to get these gloves on. I don't want to get my hands uh, all broke up or beat up or cut up or, or bit or something like that. And so I make sure that when I'm cleaning the leaves or uh, getting dead grass or sticks or something like that, I've got my gloves on. Well, wisdom just says, be careful. And that's especially true when it comes to how we work, that we need to be very careful, that we need to be smart, that, that we, we need to be wise with our energy or with our um, diligence, with our talents, we have a picture that we're going to put up on the screen of a guy who thought that he would try to save himself some money in order to cut down his own tree on his own property all by himself. Instead of calling the tree removal service, he said, you know what, it's no big deal. I can take this tree down all by myself. Uh, there are thousands of videos, by the way, on YouTube about people who tried to take down a tree by themselves, either that was close to a house or maybe close to their car or something like that and fell on it. But this guy, he took it, he, he did take this tree right down, but he didn't think about the fact of how close it was to his house. And now all the money that he saved in removing that tree by himself, he's going to need to pay to get his house fixed. Wasn't a very wise decision that was made. Solomon also talks uh, here about how, in, in the end, you need to work harder, or you need to work uh, smarter and not harder 
And um, the tools that you use, if they're in good condition, you won't have to work so hard. Verse 10, he says this, If the iron is blunt and no one... Uh, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If you just take a few minutes to sharpen the blade, the work goes a whole lot smoother, right? Verse 11, he says, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. You know, snake, uh, snake charmers... They're like the craziest people on the planet, in my opinion. I'm told that it is a talent to charm a snake. But the charmer, if if he gets bit, then what talent does, what what does all that talent mean? That talent is no good at all, right? And so he needs to approach it wisely, even though he's been taught how to do it. But Solomon's point here is that you, you need to use wisdom in the practical everyday affairs of your life. Don't don't get so caught up in accomplishing things that it takes your focus off of what it is that you're doing or how it is that you're doing it. Don't get so caught up in succeeding that you don't first consider what it is that you're doing. You need to apply wisdom to the various situations of your life. Last week, I, I shared a quote from Warren Buffett, and he said this, It takes 20 years to build a reputation and only five minutes to lose it. Sometimes it doesn't even take five minutes to lose it. Sometimes you can lose it in just a few seconds. You can get snake bit in a moment. Think about how Cain and Abel uh, in in the the book of um, Genesis and, and, and Cain, God says to him, listen, you better be very careful because sin is crouching at your door. A few years back, um, when my kids were younger, I used to play this game with them where they would, uh, I would hide and they would have to try to find me somewhere in our house. And when, when they found me, I would come out and I would start screaming and, and uh, chasing after them. And they had to get back to base, which was in the living room on the couch uh, before I caught them. And so I'd hide and I'd crouch down and I'd get behind a door or maybe I'd get in a closet or in the shower or something like that. And and they would have to come and try to find me. And and you should have seen how cautious they were, how careful they were when they came around a corner or how cautious they were when they came through a doorway because they didn't want to get caught. They didn't want to get scared. Well, that, that's how it is with sin. Sin is crouching just behind the door, and that's why we need wisdom in our lives. And so you need wisdom in every area of your life, but first Solomon particularly talks about the area of work. Secondly, though, we are instructed to be wise in the words that we use. Be wise in the words that we use. Imagine that there's probably a lot of you who are thinking, you know, I'm pretty wise in my work, but what about your mouth? Do you exercise wisdom in the words that you speak? Solomon has a lot to say about our speech. In fact, he probably says more about this than anyone else in the Bible. Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and beginning in verse 12, he says this, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of words of of his mouth is foolishness, 
And the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? Now, I don't think that any of you would be surprised if I said that we talk a lot. We talk a lot. In fact, uh, there's a study that came out that says that men talk about 20,000 words. They use about 20,000 words a day. Women use about 40,000 words a day, and we're not going to make any judgment calls on any of that. But 20,000 words, I mean, that sounds like an awful lot to me, and that's a lot of talking in the course of a day. I know that not all the things that I say are always wise, and, and all of the things that I say aren't always helpful either, but... The general idea of Solomon throughout the, the, his writings is that our words should be truthful, engaging, encouraging, uh, helpful, sweet, pleasant, and honoring. And that's the way that Christian words should be. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. In my opinion, that's one of the most important statements about wise speaking that you'll find in the Bible. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's wise counsel from the pages of the Word of God. Now, As we've said, the Bible says that our speech should be truthful, encouraging, helpful, sweet, pleasant, and honorable. But there's something else about our speech that should be true, and that is our speech should be guarded. And that's particularly a difficult thing to do in our day and age with all of the social media that we have. Because not only do we talk a lot with our words, but we talk a lot in written form as well, don't we? And how many times have you heard somebody say something that was crazy and so you go and you try to look it up on the internet somewhere, but the the person had been so criticized by it that they took that post down and and yet now there's somebody who took a screenshot of that, which is always what happens in a controversial situation if something's controversial enough. I tell my kids, you know what, Um, make sure that you be very, very careful about what it is that you put out there. Because you just cannot erase this stuff. It's going to be around. Somebody is going to have access to this until Jesus comes back. Be careful. We need to consider. And we don't just need to consider our words, but we also need to consider what it is that we post on the internet. In fact, Solomon says here that the wise person doesn't even criticize somebody in their own bedroom, which is the most private room in your house. Verse 20, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Last week we talked about a fly in the ointment. This week we see a little birdie told me. That's where it comes from, right here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Friends, Words get out. In fact, Benjamin Franklin would say this. He said, three people can keep a secret 
if two of them are dead. He says, you know what, the only way the three people are ever going to be able to keep a secret is if two of them aren't even around to be able to talk about it. Most of us who have lived long enough know that that's pretty close to being true, right? The words of the wise are guarded words because walls have ears and, you know, birds can speak. Well, gossipy words can do a lot of damage. Sam Rayburn, he's the longest serving speaker of the House of Representatives in U.S. history. He served in the 1950s and 1960s. For a long time, Sam Rayburn was the most powerful man in Washington. But he said this one time, he said, Among my most prized possessions are words that I've never spoken. I love that. I think that's a great statement. Among my most prized possessions are words that I've never spoken. How many of you wish that you had a device that you could just kind of put over your mouth that would just be a censor of what it is that you said? You know what? Not, not that you're going around cursing or swearing or anything like that, but, but, but just like there are words that you have said, there are things that you said that you wish you could take back that you wish you hadn't said. Maybe you think of that character in the Batman movies, Bane, who, who wore this uh, device over his face and it filters everything that comes out of his mouth. So, something like that would be nice for some of us, that, that we could just kind of strap it on and it would filter out our speech. But life doesn't give us a tool like that. Instead, you and I have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And so there, that, that's why there is this precious fruit of the Spirit that we want to have shining through our lives. You know the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. It, it, it applies to our mouths as well. You see... That, that's, that's the constraining work of the Spirit in your life. And that, that's why it, it, it's talked about so much in the Bible. Abide in Christ. Abide in the Word. Walk by the Spirit. Because you can't live wisely unless you're doing that. The message of Solomon as it relates to the words that we use is summarized very nicely in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 3 where Solomon says this, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin and that's about as direct a statement as could be found you know he also says here in ecclesiastes 10 12 the words of a wise man a wise man's mouth win him favor but the lips of a fool consume him we need to be disciplined and discreet and wise with our words. So as Solomon gives us these applications for wisdom, he first talks about work, and then he talks about our words. But then finally, he, he talks to us about how to be wise in the way that we lead. We, we need to be wise in the way that we lead. Now, everyone here in this room is a leader in some way or another. But Maybe you're not the leader of a Fortune 500 company, or maybe you don't lead a church, or you don't lead a small business, but if you're a mother or father here in the room today, you know what? You're a leader in the home. In fact, in, in, in that case, you are the greatest kind of leader. And so 
We all need to be very wise in the way that we lead, whether it's leading in the home or leading in uh, church or leading in our community, our school, our company, whatever the case might be. But look with me here, beginning in verse 16. It says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. These are examples of leaders who aren't very serious, who are just not very sober-minded. Verse 17 Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility. In other words, that he's been around for a while, that he's been properly trained and educated, and that he understands what is important and what's not important. And when your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness, through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. These are statements about maturity and about character in leadership. And, and, and can I just say that I believe that character still matters? I believe that, that character matters in every kind of leadership, especially in the home. Character matters in the church. Character matters in, the, in business. Character matters in coaching. Friends, listen. Character matters because character matters to God. And Solomon's point is that you can't be wise without self-discipline. And self-discipline is crucial in a leader. Because the leader sets the tone. The the leader sets the direction as it relates to an organization or a a group. And that could be true for a good or for a bad leader. Uh, A leader can set a positive tone or a leader can set a very sorry tone, which is why it's so important that we uh, understand that our accountability as leaders is ultimately to the Lord. Now, being a leader doesn't mean that you just walk around acting like it's your job to just boss everybody else around. That's not your job. You know, back when I was in college, I, I worked at a... Uh, factory called the Worcester Brush Company for a few summers. We made paint brushes, but I remember this one hot summer day. It was like 95 degrees outside, and we're out. Uh, I'm out there unloading this truck, and it is hot, just blazing hot outside. And I'm working fast, as fast as I can, and I'm just sweating bullets. Well, there's this guy who. He wasn't my boss, but he thought he was my boss, and he he was deciding that day that I should have been doing something else instead of being in that truck. And so he comes over to me, and he just starts laying into me, and he just starts yelling at me, and he says, you know what? I'm the ramrod around here. And I thought in that moment, you know, I don't really like this guy too much. But, you know, if you've ever worked for anybody like that before, you know how difficult they can make life for you. And friends, biblical leadership is a leadership that serves. Biblical leadership is a leadership that sacrifices. You might remember what James and John um, were talking, when they were talking to Jesus. And they asked him, hey, Lord, hey, could you do a favor for us? You know, when you come into your kingdom, could one of us sit on your right and the other one sit on your left? You know, when, when, when you come into your kingdom, if, if you could just make that happen for us, we'd really appreciate it. And Jesus says, you know what? You, you don't understand what you're asking for. Those are not my positions to give. Those are reserved for my father. Not only that, but you're thinking from a worldly point of view when you're thinking about all of this. And then he kind of gathers his disciples around him and he says, listen here, guys, you know, you look around, 
You see the Romans? You see all these people in the society and, and how they just love to lord their authority over people. Guys, that's the way that the world leads. And then he goes and he says, listen, and I just imagine him looking right into their eyes and getting in, leaning in a little closer. And he says, you know what? You're, you're not supposed to lead that way. Instead, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And even the Son of Man came, to, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So leadership is not to be self-absorbed. It's not to be lording it over people. No, leadership is serving. Leadership is sacrifice. Godly leadership shoulders the burden when things go wrong, when things go bad. Godly leaders don't just blame things on everybody else when things go bad. No, they take the responsibility themselves. And when things go good, they share the credit. In verse 18, Solomon concludes here by talking about the guy who is just kind of sitting around his house doing nothing. He says, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks it's a picture of laziness. You know, the guy's just sitting at home with his favorite beverage in his hand. The roof's leaking. The paint's chipping off the wall. The yard's a mess. The bills are just stacking up. And Solomon says, listen, that's foolishness. That's no leadership at all. Effort matters when it comes to leadership. Effort by itself won't guarantee success when it comes to leadership. But you won't have success without it. Because it's part of leading Wise leadership evaluates a need, plans a response, takes the initiative, and works until the job's done. Solomon is getting to the question today about finding success and winning favor. Something that all of us want from the Lord. And if you're going to find success and if you're going to win favor with the Lord, then you need to learn to live and to lead and to love with wisdom. So many people are like the man who walked into the convenience store, he took out a $20 bill and he, he laid it down on the counter and he said, you know, could I get some change? Well, the, the cashier hit the button and the drawer pops open, the guy pulls out a gun and puts it in, in her face and says, you know what, this is a robbery, this is a stick up, give me all your money. And the, the clerk is immediately uh, taking out all the cash out of the drawer, handing it to the man. The man runs out of the store as fast as he can. He forgets to, to take the $20 bill with him. He jumps into his car. He takes off down the road. He finds a safe place to pull off. And, and he starts to count all his, his money out. And he counts $17. <laughs> that man had committed a terrible felony and lost $3 in the process of doing it. And that's the way that most people, uh, many people, live life. They're, they're, they, they make some decisions without considering. And they think that they are profiting from those decisions. But when, in reality, it is costing them. Friends, it is so important to figure out that wisdom is crucial in the God-blessed life. The beautiful thing as we conclude this morning is that wisdom comes to every believer who knows Jesus Christ by faith. That's the promise of God. In fact, James chapter 1 and verse 5 says this, If anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If you want wisdom, ask God, who is quick to respond to that wise asking of it, and will give you in great abundance the wisdom that you need, so that you will live a life of blessing that encourages you and that honors him. Let's pray.